once I found my love for privacy, it became an absolute pleasure to come to work. Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counting. So whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the KZN Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila, and I'm a data privacy analyst at KZN Privacy Experts. I'm primarily responsible for conducting research on current and upcoming legislation, as well as key developments and decisions by supervisory authorities. Joining me today is my co-host, Jamal Ahmed, who is a fellow of information privacy and CEO at KZN Privacy Experts. He is a leading global privacy professional, world-class trainer, and a lead mentor at the Privacy Pros Academy. Hi, everyone. Looking forward to our guest. Our guest today is Avishai Ostrin. Ever since Avishai's first law and technology course at university, he knew he had a passion for the interplay between tech and the law. Avishai is a dual qualified Israeli and UK lawyer and is the head of privacy at Assassin, a UK law firm based in Israel. His practice focuses on advising Israel's and the UK's top tech players from small startups to large corporates on all areas of data protection and privacy. He also acts as DPO for several of his clients. Based in Tel Aviv, the heart of the startup nation, he aims to bring a refreshed perspective to the world of privacy and data protection. Wow. Thank you for joining us, Avishai. Thanks so much for having me. I apologize for the mouthful on my intro, but uh, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. No, it's a really amazing bio. So we're going to start off with an icebreaker, if that's okay. Sure, of course. I uh, came up with this after having a look at your LinkedIn and seeing your post about Marvel versus DC. And Jamal knows I like to ask very obscure questions about data privacy. So would GDPR apply in the Marvel Universe? That is an excellent question. I think definitely, I'll tell you why I think it would apply, because as we know, GDPR has ex-territorial scope, which means even if you're you're, um, collecting information of European data subjects, so even if you're located outside of Europe, even if you're on other planets. So if if you're on planet Asgard and you're collecting European data subjects information, you'll still be subject to GDPR. So I definitely think that it applies. That would be my answer. That's interesting. I was thinking about Asgard because in Thor 2, Jane goes from London to Asgard and therefore GDPR would apply to her there. But the UK GDPR. But the UK GDPR. That's very interesting. Thank mm-hmm. you for answering one of my obscure questions. <laughs> no problem. I'm, I'm all for the obscure questions. It's uh, what gets me going. So um, I also read the article, uh, Avishai, and I read that you and your wife are doing a marathon on watching all of the Marvel movies. How's that coming along? Listen, lockdown has been so long that we finished that ages ago. We're waiting for the next one to come out. I'll tell you, though, Jabal, it's very interesting because there's a fierce debate amongst Marvel fans on which order you should watch the MCU movies, as you may know, or if your listeners are Marvel fans. Do you watch them in the order in which they were released 
starting with Iron Man, or do you watch them in the order in which they occur chronologically, in which case you would start, I believe, with Captain America, because it takes place yes. in World War One or Two. No, so we did we did in the order of release. We were true to the way in which Mr. Stan Lee would have us watch them. Well, I never watched any Marvel films until lockdown, and I watched them in the order they came out in because that to me as a new Marvel watcher made sense and then when I went back for a second marathon then I could do it chronologically because the end of credits and post credit scenes that Marvel loves they only make sense when you watch them them uh, in the order of release it's very true I mean we could spend this whole podcast on (laughs) I'm tempted to know what you think of WandaVision if you've been watching that which is Marvel's new thing I think we should move on to yeah we should move on (laughs) we're never gonna end this conversation otherwise yeah Uh, what first sparked your interest in data privacy I've always been really, really fascinated both by the law, which is why I went to study it in university, but also by technology and technology innovation, new products, new solutions. I like to say that I'm as big a tech geek as one can get without actually having gone and studied engineering and knowing how any of this stuff actually works. Mm -hmm. Because I love those two areas, I really, really wanted to focus my practice on combining those two areas. And once I found the privacy and data protection world, protecting people's data in the technological context, thinking about how new technology may impact people's human rights and people's privacy rights, I found that area, I, I truly fell in love something that I enjoy not just practicing and making a living out of, but also it's something that I have a real passion for on a personal level. People may have seen the stuff, post about it a lot. I write about it a lot. I blog about it. I come on podcasts to speak about it because it really is something I care deeply about and enjoy deeply uh, talking and debating about. You were recently uh, voted to be in the top 1% on LinkedIn, uh, Abishai. And I think that's largely down to what you've just expressed. You do provide a lot of value. And especially for myself and others in the data privacy community, I always find your posts very insightful and fascinating. On behalf of myself, all of the people in the Privacy Pros community and data privacy professionals worldwide, both now and aspiring, I want to thank you for all of your efforts towards that. I know it must take a lot of time in addition to doing your day job, but thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jamal. I really appreciate you saying that. And maybe this is a great opportunity to take a message to anyone who's listening to us. Sometimes these areas of law and regulation can seem intimidating or dark or scary, or you don't really feel like you have anything to say. Don't be afraid to have your own voice. Don't be afraid to voice your opinion, let people know what you're thinking and create conversations. And, you know, now is the time and LinkedIn is certainly the place to have these conversations and to let people know what you're thinking and engage with other people on topics that are of interest to you. So I would definitely encourage people to do that. Thank you, Avishai. And you mentioned your interest in data privacy, and I think your passion really comes through whenever you're speaking about data privacy. And what is it that you love most about working in the sector? The cool thing about privacy for me is that obviously the interplay with the technology, but it's also the fact that there are so many aspects and so many elements that it touches that it's not just one thing. 
as you guys know, and as your listeners know, who are privacy professionals, when you're a privacy professional, you cannot have tunnel vision. You can't only be thinking about one thing. So let's say we're talking about GDPR compliance with a company. You have to think about the product team. Of course, you need to think about you know how the product is going to comply with the privacy by design principles, et cetera. But you also need to think about the sales team and the marketing team and HR, the you know the C-suite, and uh, do you have the appropriate budget to you know provide education and awareness training and you know all of these different things? You know, in some ways, privacy is just taking this area of data and applying it in every single element of the business. And mm-hmm. I find that really really cool to be able to sit down with people who have completely different backgrounds to me understand what they do, and then apply the rules, the processes, or the the principles that I come with from the privacy world to what they're doing. And being able to then look back and say, wow, that company put out a product that millions and millions and millions of people use. And because I spoke to them about doing it this way and not that way, I actually helped in preserving those customers, those clients' privacy, you know, having that impact and really speaking to all different areas of the business is something that I find super exciting to do. And I guess that means, you know, you face different challenges every day and it keeps things interesting. And there, there aren't too many careers where you get to see that scope of the business and get involved in those things. Absolutely. You can have a, a conversation with the CEO and within an hour, it can be completely different. And then you're doing awareness training for the sales team and you're dealing with a, a subject access request the next hour and you're dealing with, a, God forbid, a breach the next hour. And all these things just kind of different and eclectic and, and interesting. Yeah. So that's why I love it so much. I would have to agree with you, Avishai. I think one of the things that I love most about having Korean data privacy is that no two days have ever been the same. Every day, you never know what's going to come up. Every business is uh, different. Every client has their own specific needs. And it's not just businesses and clients. This is something that um, can impact governments and individuals worldwide. Absolutely. One of the things that we're starting to see is even though everybody's at home during the lockdown, there are still infringements on our civil liberties uh, when it comes to data privacy. Lots of countries around the world are thinking about introducing immunity passports. What are your thoughts on Israel's green passport? And for anyone that doesn't know what the green passport is, it's about the arguments that we're seeing everywhere, where we're seeing for you to be able to travel or have access to certain places, you should be able to prove that you've been immunized against the virus. It's an excellent question. And actually, Jamal, I watched your interview that you gave on, I believe, was it uh, Sky News or BBC, maybe one of the big, large news outlets on, uh, you had a debate with Rebecca Butler, yes, about the green passports. I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, we are we are faced now with a global health crisis, the magnitude of which the world hasn't seen in in 100 years since uh, 1918. We've all heard the stories. Different countries are grappling with this situation in different ways and are trying to figure out what the correct balance is between protecting people's civil liberties and protecting people's human rights on the one hand, and on the other hand, allowing countries to go back to some sense of normalcy and go back to their lives. Now, specifically in Israel, we've had 
a number of decisions that have been made by the government, whether it was the use of intelligent services to mm. monitor uh, COVID patients, whether it was the completely botched attempt at the Ministry of Health to use a contact tra- to develop their own contact tracing app that was a, a huge flop abandoned a few months later. Just this week, it was announced that in the name of fighting the COVID pandemic, they were introducing legislation to allow the Cyber Defense Directorate to give them more extensive powers in order to help companies by going in, sometimes even having the power to take over the private company's systems in the name of trying to prevent these cyber attacks that we've been seeing. So Israel has taken probably what I would say has taken very, very, very far steps. We will only be seeing the impacts of in years to come. When you look at it in that context, the green passport that the Ministry of Health is trying to introduce is actually one of the less egregious infringements on the rights to privacy of Israeli citizens. So I completely agree with you that it is problematic that we should be able to receive from our health provider, we should be able to receive an accreditation that says that we got the vaccine, that should allow us to travel. There shouldn't be the need to create a centralized government database that has everyone's information in it and is run by the government. Honestly, I wouldn't trust the government at this point, the Israeli government, to run a, a gym membership. They've proven time and time again that they cannot be trusted with this type of information. But again, going back to the examples that I brought at the beginning, I think that in the grand scheme of things, uh, us privacy pros in Israel are very much focused on some of the other extremely aggressive steps that the government has taken in the name of war on the coronavirus. That makes sense. I guess you have to pick your battles wisely. And if you say this is one of the more less infringements on those civil liberties when it comes to the basic human right of the right to privacy, then I guess it is probably more interesting and more concerning to focus on some of the other ones. And you mentioned um, Israel's failing as a government there. And it's not just Israel alone. I mean, in the UK, we had our government try to build a centralized test and trace program. They wasted a lot of billions of pounds on that. We can't even keep a New Year's honours list safe. So I don't understand how (laughs) people think we're going to be able to keep a a national vaccine centralised database safe or even running. We couldn't even um, keep hold of the COVID testing results. We had a spreadsheet that, you know, stopped recording at a certain amount of point. Why uh, we thought it was a good idea to do that, I have no idea. So one of the things I think, regardless of how much I'm opposed to it, Abishai, is that these digital immunity passports, I believe they're going to be inevitable. And so instead of trying to kind of um, combat and kind of campaign against it, I think moving forward, the next progression and the most pragmatic thing to do would be to say, okay, look, if you're going to insist on bringing these into place, how can we make them a little bit more safer? How can we make it a little bit more acceptable? Do you have any suggestions for that? I agree with you 100%. I think the key thing with the track and trace uh, example is a perfect example that the government needs to understand and admit when it isn't the right entity potentially and doesn't have all of the necessary skills internally in order to develop this these systems 
And one of the things that responsible governments have done is they've brought in companies, uh, entities that specialize specifically in these areas to ensure that the technology works, that it's safe, that it's secure, that no one's information can leak. And so I think that definitely in terms of securing the information, the ministries of health around the world need to realize that they are not in the business of creating technology solutions. They're in the business of combating pandemics. They're extremely efficient at that and they're wonderful. But when it comes to people's data, there are better and more appropriate players People shouldn't take what I'm saying as, you know, this stuff needs to be outsourced to uh, private companies. Not at all. But government needs to recognize when it needs to bring in the correct stakeholders to consult with privacy professionals to make sure that they've implemented data minimization principles and privacy by design principles and carried out data protection impact assessments properly and consulted with security professionals to ensure that it's all secure. And it's only that joint effort of the different people looking at this from their own specializations that we will get the best uh, result for the citizens. What you're saying is, if Matt Hancock is listening, um, data privacy is something to be dealt with privacy professionals, experts that know what they're doing, not your friends that you want to give big contracts to who have set up companies overnight. Got it. Exactly. Exactly. There you go. You've translated it into, uh, yeah, you've said it outright, Jamal. I like it. And by the way, I I just saw yesterday that um, information commissioner role is up for grabs. So Jamal, are you throwing your hat in the ring for, for that role? I think I'm all right for now, Avishai, but I think you would definitely make a great candidate. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Back to a few questions about you, Avishai. Uh, sure. What would you say you are most proud of? In my professional life, I actually had three proud moments in the past year. I had three people reach out to me to, to help them find jobs, and I was able to help them secure positions in their dream jobs in the area of data privacy. That was probably in the past year, one of my few proudest moments. It's just so rewarding to be yeah. able to find someone a, their, you know, their dream position. And especially because we need excellent people in this field. And, uh, and that was really a, a proud moment for me. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I think that's one of the things that we try to really do at the Privacy Pros Academy is Mm. empower people to become world-class privacy professionals because there's such a huge demand for great people um, in this sector. Definitely. Yeah. We need more people. If you're listening to this and you're interested in privacy, you need to reach out to Jamal and to the the Privacy Pros Academy. Get yourself trained and get into the business. On that note, Avishai, there are some people who might be listening to this. They might have the mindset right now where they believe that all they need to do is read uh, the book written by Eduardo, go and sit the exam, pass it, and they're going to become an absolutely sensational privacy professional overnight. What do you say to those people who think all they need to do is learn how to pass an exam rather than invest in training? There is no replacement for training, but also for for practical experience. I mean, there is a reason why when lawyers, for example, finish university, they have to sit for training contracts because we realize that they've built the base in law school, but then they need to go and have 
the practical experience if they'd like to become solicitors. It's no different for any other profession. The great thing about the exam is that it ensures that everyone is starting from the same level. Everyone has the very same basic level of understanding of the regulation. We're all talking the same language. We all know what Convention 108 is and what GDPR is and the e-privacy directive. And we all know all of those regulations, laws and regulations. And now the implementation of that in practice and the advice of that uh, and the translation of that into practice is something that can only be perfected with experience and with time build your way up with the experience, you know, that's how really you get to the higher echelons of the profession. I think it's especially true in an area like privacy, where number one, things are changing all the time. So by the time you've set the exam, the law may have completely changed. You know, they've been talking about it for a long time, about the e-privacy uh, regulation. I, who knows when it's going to come into effect, right? You know, that's a completely new area to learn. Uh, and so the laws are always changing. But the other thing that's so interesting and important to understand about privacy is that so much of it, so much of this profession is based on understanding the areas in which you're operating and understanding the areas in which the businesses that you're advising are operating. Because your advice, for example, to a financial services provider won't be the same as your advice to a health services provider or to a company that's uh, building uh, productivity software. It's a completely different area. And in each uh, vertical of the business world, you mentioned government before, that's a completely different area. And so there's the hard skills, the stuff that you learn in the books and the, you're tested on in the exams, but then there are really the soft skills of understanding how privacy actually works in practice in the different areas in which you're advising, which is something that you can only learn when you've actually sat and, uh, and had the experience and given the advice and learned from the people around you. And you keep learning, by the way. I mean, I'm sure, Jamal, you'll agree with me that it doesn't matter how long you've been in this field, you keep learning. Every single day is learning. You learn something new that you didn't necessarily know, and then it's another tool in your toolbox that you can implement when you come across it again. Absolutely. There's times even when you think you know as much there is to know on a certain topic, but then you go and work in a completely different industry and you realize, hang on a minute, everything I thought I knew, I need to reassess because it doesn't make sense in this context. That answer that you provided there, there's so much value in that. And I really want to thank you for really sharing your thoughts. Something that I found uh, when I was uh, doing a little bit of research on you was that you coach startups on data privacy issues, which I thought was really interesting. What kind of mistakes do you see that startups make when it comes to data privacy? So first of all, uh, to give some context to that, there's an amazing program called Techstars. There are chapters all over the world, and I volunteer as a mentor in the Tel Aviv chapter. And it's an amazing experience because it's basically very, very small startups. It's generally two or three founders, and that's it, who, who come to this program. And they have a two or three month program, I believe. They have mentorship from different mentors from different uh, sectors and from different backgrounds. So I come from a data privacy and law background. They'll have people there who, who get marketing. They'll work, help you work on your your business pitch and all those different kinds of things. I think that the challenges that startups have 
is, you know, as, as any other company has, is it's a question of resources, right? Mm-hmm. Financial resources. So do we have the money to spend on putting together a very robust privacy program from the beginning? Kind of there's financial consideration, but there's also time and effort and brain capacity to do this. I mean, when you're a two or three person startup, your entire focus from the moment that you get up in the morning until the moment that you go to sleep is on building this product, company, whatever it is. And so you don't have time or you don't have the mental capacity to deal with everything else as a distraction. And so the amazing thing about you know what I do is that I come and I, I plant the seeds of you're building this product you should make sure that you have, you know, the key things that you need to remember in terms of your data program is remember to make sure that everything is extremely secure, make sure you have uh, uh, policies so that you're transparent with people about how you use their data, you know, so able to, to plant those seeds as early on as possible. And when you do it so early on, it pays dividends throughout the development of the company, because then even if they don't have the capacity or the bandwidth to deal with it then, they will know that when they come to speak to investors or they bring their product to market, they will know that these are issues that they need to think of because the worst thing is the unknown unknowns. Once something is known and once it's able to be on their radar, then they can think about it and bring it to the fore when it's when it's relevant. And you know, oftentimes I'll be contacted by companies that I've mentored in the past and they'll say, okay, we remember what you told us you know, X many months ago, now it's time to put pen to paper and and let's get it done. Those are some interesting challenges. The great thing, by the way, about working with startups is that it's so exciting and so dynamic and, you know, changes happen like this. You talk about like big corporates and it's difficult to make changes. You know, in a startup, you can wake up one day and, you know, the, the company pivots and it's going in a completely different direction. So it's mind boggling sometimes how quickly these things move, but it is really exciting to work in that environment because you can really have a major impact giving this piece of advice at the right time, putting in place this policy at the right time Sounds like really amazing work. Very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. What is the greatest challenge you have faced in your career and how did you overcome it? Oh, that is a, uh, that's a, a, an interesting question, a tough one. This might be a good time to give a little bit of background about myself uh, because it, it feeds into this, to this question. I moved to Israel when I was seven years old. I grew up here in Israel in Jerusalem, went to law school here trained at one of the big Israeli firms here in Israel and really fell in love with the privacy space. I realized that if I wanted to have a career in privacy, the Israeli privacy framework, as I mentioned in one of my answers before, uh, isn't exactly what you would call the gold standard of uh, of global privacy. And they were talking at the time about this, uh, you know, this exciting GDPR that was coming into play. And so I was looking around and I said to myself, well, I'd better go to uh, a a firm where I can, you know, practice this new exciting gold standard of privacy. And so I found the the head of Asterson. I had a conversation and I said, well, I'd like to work for you because I'd like to practice privacy law in in the UK, which was then part of the EU still, GDPR would have been applicable. And he said, well, that's really wonderful, Avishai, and and you're a great guy. Unfortunately, 
we have two problems. The first problem is that you're an Israeli qualified lawyer and we only hire English lawyers. And the second problem is that we don't have a privacy department. And so I said to him, okay, so I will qualify in the UK and I will start your privacy department. And I think those were probably two of the most difficult things that I did. So I, you know, he was, he was a bit taken aback by my answer, but that's what I did. I joined Asterson and I qualified as a UK, an English solicitor. That was an extremely uh, difficult thing to do, especially with a full-time job. And then I basically started a privacy practice as a newly qualified English solicitor, not a newly qualified Israeli one, basically from ground up with nothing else around in the firm. So that was probably challenge, challenge number two uh, in my professional world. So the first was the qualification and yeah. then building a practice really from, from the ground up. Um, those were those were definitely two very very difficult challenges. It's, it's really inspiring, Abishai, how you didn't just take no for an answer. You exactly. was like, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to make this happen. And you had exactly. that mental resilience and that motivation within yourself to really go forward. But for anyone that's in a similar situation where they're challenged and maybe they've been told no or not yet, what advice to give them from that self drive point of view? First of all, if you find something that you are passionate about, then you should hold on to that. I say grab onto that with two hands and don't let go because I've spent a lot of time in my career in areas of, uh, you know, practicing law in areas that I wasn't passionate about. And it's tough. Once I found my love for privacy, it didn't become difficult anymore. It became an absolute pleasure to come to work. I love what I do and I, I don't consider it a job. I consider it a privilege, you know, advise clients on this area. So if you find something that you love, and especially if privacy is something that you're passionate about, hold on to that. And I think that definitely if there are roadblocks in the way to where you want to be, have a, a think about how you can get past those roadblocks. Make a list even. What do you need to do? What do you need to achieve in order to break through those roadblocks and get to where you want to be? Identify where you want to be and then work backwards from there. I'm going to go back to a Marvel reference here. What is your end game? Okay, you see what I did there, Jamal? Yeah. What is your what is your end game? Okay. And and then work your way to how you're going to plot your way to how you're going to get there. And that's the advice that I would give. If there is anyone, any individual who you feel can help you get to where you want to be, do not be afraid to reach out to that person and ask them for the assistance that you need in order to get there because they want to help you achieve what you want to achieve. It's so gratifying to be able to have done that for people and to continue to do that for people. And I promise you that you say to them, can you help me by doing X, Y, and Z? They'll be more than happy to help you do that. And it'll get you one step closer to where you want to be. So don't be afraid to chase those dreams identify what they where you want to be you need to reach out to in order to get there yeah 
Yeah. That is a really valuable advice, Avishai. And for anyone that's not a Marvel fan, what Avishai is saying is begin with the end in mind. So begin with the end in mind. And his second super hot tip is get yourself a mentor, someone who's already done what you're looking to achieve. Don't be afraid to speak to that mentor and to get them in place. And one of the things that I'm released to offer at the Previously Pros Academy is our Previously Pro Accelerator Mentoring Program where we take individuals from where they are now, where they might have little or no experience, and at the end of 12 weeks, really take them to the place where their end game is and they can start that launch or excel their career as a privacy professional. So thank you for that, Avishai. Super valuable tips. Jamila, what's the next question that we have for Avishai? Our next question, and unfortunately, I can't think of a Marvel reference for this one. Don't worry, I'll do it. But what do you think the data privacy industry will look like in five years? Wow, if I had a crystal ball is what you're saying. Yes. Got it. I'm sure there are lots of Marvel references for that one, by the way. Very good question. Obviously, we don't have a crystal ball, but there are a number of indications. So first and foremost, we have to take a good hard look at what is happening right now around COVID. Think about what the world is going to look like. For example, international travel. Let's take that as one example. Eventually, we're going to go back to international travel. As we mentioned before, passports that will certify whether you've been vaccinated or things around your health information might become more commonplace. So, you know, that's something that is definitely worth thinking about. On the legislative, we're seeing more and more countries adopt GDPR-like legislation which I think is an amazing achievement. Obviously, we saw it last year with CPRA that placed CCPA in California. Now Virginia enacting a new comprehensive data privacy law. We've seen it in India. We've seen it in New Zealand. We've seen it in some other countries in Africa and and in Asia. And I think we're we're definitely seeing on the legislative framework, we're definitely uh, seeing moves in that direction. We're seeing... Uh, clashes much more between big tech and the regulators, government slash regulators. We saw what happened a couple of weeks ago with Facebook, the face-off between Facebook and Australia, which, you know, which came to a head last week. So I definitely think that, you know, corporations in general, but definitely tech and definitely uh, social media companies will have more and more of these types of clashes. We know that the U.S., for example, is thinking about uh, changes to Section 230, which has to do with publishing content on social media. EU has also come uh, out, you know, with the Digital Services Act. Countries and regulators come up against social media companies, tech companies in general. On the home front, I think adequacy for the U.K. It's um, how far along. In the uh, challenge process, will Max Schrems be to that adequacy decision in the Court of Justice? Yeah, that'll be that'll be one to watch. In all seriousness, I really think that the UK will eventually, the adequacy decision seems inevitable to me. And the only question is going to be whether it will survive a judicial challenge. That I think is, is where UK adequacy is heading. So I think there are a few examples without much of a a coherent answer. But uh, if I had to boil it down, I would probably say, you know, tech versus countries, new legislative frameworks around the world, uh, the UK status 
now that's kind of in limbo at the moment. And number four would be, which is the first thing that I mentioned, is results uh, that we see from COVID impacting privacy going forward, other impacts that we may see going forward. Wow, a, a lot to kind of look forward to or not in the future. And we are seeing some of these things emerging, like you said, Australia and Facebook. And we'll, if we will see similar to what happened with the mass migration from WhatsApp to other uh, apps, whether we'll see more of that in the next few years. And, uh, and a, a few more Marvel movies, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Amazing. Uh, well, we've come to the end of that interview. Thank you, Avishai, for joining us today. I've definitely learned a lot from your wealth of experience and knowledge. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you guys very much for having me. And uh, I really do appreciate both of you guys. And, you know, Jamal, you also put amazing, amazing, amazing content out there. Lots of great conversations. I learned a ton from you personally, Jamal, and from the Kazian experts generally. So please keep doing an amazing job at what you're doing, providing a huge amount of value both for myself and for the community in general. Thank you so much for your kind words and support, Avishai. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class Privacy Pro. Please leave us a four or five star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzent.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.